0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com
1: for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles Podcast. I'm Matt Prime, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Also, uh, we're broadcasting this on YouTube as well. And hey guys, you've made it to Friday. It is the last day before Oregon plays Fresno State to open up 2021 football season. We've got our ultimate preview ahead of this football game, or if maybe you're listening to it a second time as you're in the Austin Stadium parking lot, getting your yourself ready for this game. Uh, exciting opportunity to get back into the stands, see the Ducks play with fans in attendance for the first time in over a year. Game will be broadcasted. Uh, By the Pac-12 Networks, 11.01 a.m. Pacific time is the official start time for this game. Uh, Roxy Bernstein and Lincoln Kennedy will be on the call from a TV perspective. uh, Radio, you've got Jerry Allen, Mike Jorgensen, Joey McMurray, and Terry Johns with the Oregon IMG, Oregon Sports Network crew uh, broadcasting that game. Morgan coming off back-to-back Pac-12 championships. Uh, They are the number 11th-ranked team in the country, uh, and they have won 12 straight at Austin Stadium, the sixth active longest winning streak uh, in the country at home, and the program's longest at home since a 21-game win streak during 2008 to 2011. Uh, Fresno State comes into this game 1-0. They've got their first game under their belts already. They play UConn week zero of this football season. They won that one 45 to nothing. Uh, and it was an impressive game by the Bulldogs. Uh, the first time they've opened the season 1-0 since 2018. Uh, and they are actually riding a two-game win streak over ranked opponents coming into this football game. Uh, real quick, guys, Football is here. We are less than 24 hours away from kickoff, depending upon when you listen to this show. Uh, just overall thoughts real quick before we really dive into this. So just of We're back. We're going to be in Austin. Fans are going to be Austin. It's going to feel more like a real football season.
2: I just can't wait to hear – I think I said this before. The thing I'm looking forward to the most is just a player is in a position to score on the crowd roars or just the first time a big play is made because it was really weird last year being in there. I said it before without that and, and just the game day atmosphere of, of it not feeling like a, I don't know, like a zombie land and <laughs> not feeling like it's a abandoned, you know, city up there. I mean, it was just really strange being there last year um, with nobody there. And it's going to be great to see a lot of people at Autzen stadium. Obviously I hope everybody stays safe and that there's nothing that comes from this from a health perspective, but man, God, it's going to be really awesome just to have that place packed, have it loud. And I know the players and uh, coaches have said a lot of things regarding that. Um, already this week
0: yeah no I'm just ecstatic the last time I watched a football game in person was in the Rose Bowl in 2019 I've gone to two baseball games this year but this is just going to be unmatched yeah it's gonna be great to be back in Austin Stadium and see all the fans like Eric was saying and just you know the the natural roars of the games the booze every once in a while the student section will throw something on the field it's all just part of the environment and I can't wait to be back
2: and actually, another thing I'm going to be looking forward to is in between the third and the fourth quarter when we get Shout finally back. It was so weird last year. Did they even, I can't even remember, Matt. Did they even play it last year for, like, the players? Did they play it to hype them up between quarters? I don't I remember.
1: think they did, but it, it totally was like, this is goofy. Why are we doing this? Yeah, why are we doing
2: <laughs> this? There's no crowd atmosphere. Yeah, so um, that's going to be another thing I always look forward to is the excitement there, especially if it's a close game going into that
1: quarter. On the, on the football field, what are we looking for? What are we excited to see? Um, I'll start here, and first and foremost, I, I I'm excited to see kind of what this Oregon offense will look like with a full off-season training program, with a full spring under their belt, with a full fall camp, a regular fall camp, um, and year two of Joe Moorhead's offense. You know, I I think we got an idea of what it could be like in 2020 but I think 2021 is going to be more structured, a better, you know, a better foundation. And I'm curious to see how Anthony Brown fits into this position group at quarterback, because everyone you talk to all off season, everyone you talk to during fall camp, everyone said aside from the coaching staff, that he was the player on their on record, at least that he was the guy, he would be the quarterback, he would be QB one. And while it was a true competition with the other freshmen, you never really 100% bought into the fact that maybe a Jay Butterfield, maybe a Ty Thompson is going to start day one. It was always kind of like, well, maybe, but really, like everything point keeps pointing to A.B. And so I, I'm curious to see just how good does A.B. look how good does this offense look with a true traditional offseason spring and fall camp?
2: Yeah, no, there's no question that's near the top of the list. Obviously, we are excited to see what the defense looks like. I'm honest, I'd probably, I'd probably lean this way just naturally anyway, not that I don't like watching offensive football, but for whatever reason, I've always grown up. Like, I'll put it this way. When I was like six years old, I was wanting to pretend to be a middle linebacker, knocking down dudes rather than, Going out and catching passes and stuff like that, which probably surprises you if you know me because I'm a pretty yeah. mild, mild-mannered person, but I was always pretty aggressive growing up. So I was always on to defense is always where kind of my attention lies. And it's carried over professionally. I watch the defense at practice. I'm always really curious to see what they're doing. So I'll um I will be very excited to see what this looks like for Tim, from a Tim Taruta perspective, but also a personnel perspective, because it's going to be first day seeing a lot of different players out there. Justin Flo's debut is something obviously I think everyone's really excited about. Seeing what it looks like in the secondary, it's a pretty new look secondary now because of a couple of suspensions, a couple of guys left before. But, you know, three of the five guys starting out there, this will be their first time doing that. So um, and we don't even know necessarily who's going to be at the boundary corner. So those are some defensive things I'm excited about, um, along with obviously just seeing what a tenderer defense looks like, kind of getting a feel for that. I'm expecting we'll see. A lot of kind of innovative different things that, that we haven't seen before. You know, if you go back and watch what he's done in the past, the other stops, that's definitely the case. And it'll be interesting to see what that looks like at Oregon. So, um, honestly, I'm almost more excited for a rewatch right after the game to just kind of see all the schematic and see kind of everything that takes place. But uh, a lot to kind of unpack and look forward to defensively, I think.
0: Yeah, I'm going to go with the defense, too. Just like you, Eric, I am way more of a defensive person. I don't know what it is, even though I covered the offense for ball camp. I just love watching defense. And at the one scrimmage that we were allowed to watch, uh, I was just enthralled with the defense and how fast it was. That was the thing that really stood out to me. It really did remind me again, I will say one more time, of the 2019 defense where when there was a pass that was caught maybe in the flats or in the middle of the field, it wasn't just a one-on-one tackle. It was a 4-1 v tackle. And if the guy broke free of one, he had three more guys waiting for him. So that's what I kind of expect to see from this defense. And I'm really excited to see that and really excited to watch Flo and uh, Noah Sewell go to work, uh, as, as a linebacker. I think those guys coming downhill or heading out to the flats are going to cause a lot of havoc. I'm very excited to watch that. And like Eric, like you said, just from a personnel perspective, I think it's going to be really interesting. And of course, seeing where Kayvon Thibodeau lines up and how he rushes the passer, is going to be interesting too.
1: TJ Verdell at running back, uh, I think all of us are in agreement probably going to be one of the guys that's the bell cow of this team. And it'll be curious to see just kind of how good he looks. Everyone says he's healthy. Will he be ready to go? Will he stay healthy for this first game to get himself ready for Ohio State? Um, And then what happens behind him is also interesting. And then I think offensively also looking at, you know, Troy Franklin and, and Dante Fortin and Maliki Matavo and Terrence Ferguson and Seven McGee. I mean, there feels like just an endless line of true freshman skill guys um, at receiver, tight end and running back that are going to play and the impact that they could potentially have on this team. Uh, there's a lot of excitement I mean, we, we can feel it on the site. We can feel it in this podcast and the numbers of people that are listening, people that are talking about Oregon athletics with us. Uh, on social media, when we're out and about on town, do you guys feel that you feel like this season's vibe, this season's excitement is just exponentially bigger than it was the the previous year for sure. And to me, I, I kind of almost wonder if it's even bigger than than 2019 from a fan perspective.
2: I don't know about 19. I think there was a lot more. I don't know. I think there was a lot of excitement in 19 because of the quarterback situation. I think There's just still, I mean, I think there's a lot of excitement because fans haven't watched this team in person and there's all that kind of component. I think there is the fan base is really optimistic. I also think there is a recognition that like the quarterback situation is a little different. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm just projecting my perspective on this, which is that I, I think this team is really, really talented, but I just want to see more at quarterback but I've kind of, I don't know. I remember back in 19, it really felt like, man, if they can beat Auburn, they can do this thing, and they can maybe run the table. And I know maybe people, some people feel that way, but I maybe I, maybe I just don't. Maybe I'm being a doom and gloomer over here um, as opposed to what the fan base thinks. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's my own personal perspective um, projecting onto what I think the fan base feels. But 19 was just, I think, a year where you kind of felt like everything was going to come together, and it did.
0: I think this is a different type of excitement than 19 or last year. I think more so because it's something that hasn't happened yet. And that is this amount of elite freshman talent all playing at once. Good point. So you do look at like Noah Sewell who played last year, obviously all seven games, but is still, is still a freshman technically. And so, and I think being included, I think a lot of people look at last year and just kind of forget it. And unless you're Alabama or the players who are or the teams who went to the college football playoffs, I think a lot of people are like that. And with the influx of talented freshmen who are all getting a chance to play, their names are very present. You know, uh, Troy Franklin is the starting ex receiver as of right now. Uh, you know, Dante Thornton's right behind him. You have all these guys: Justin Flo, Eric, as you mentioned, his awesome debut. I think the the buzz is palpable with the freshmen in general. And I think when an Oregon fan looks at that and lists eight to ten players who are all freshmen. They're like, wow, what is it going to be next year? But then again, we're this good this year. And that, so I think it's a different type of excitement, but I do think that it's a, probably less than the 2019 team, but it's certainly there. And every time we read the message boards, every time you know, we just talk about the team, it's excitement.
2: I was just also going to say, I say this while also looking at my phone right before we started this and like full 20 plus messages every time because we're tagged in a thread where fans are excitedly anticipating the uh, yeah. potential of like running the table and playing for a college football playoffs. So I know there is a lot of fan excitement. Um, maybe I'm just coloring it a certain way because I look at this team and think there's just some question marks in a couple of spots that that colored for me a certain way.
1: Going into Saturday's game against Fresno State, uh, Oregon is an overwhelming favorite. They're a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against the Bulldogs. All three of us, uh, I, I think, we will get to score predictions here later on down the road, but I think all three of us have said on the show throughout this week that we would be shocked if Oregon lost this football game. But nonetheless, Fresno State's going to be, I think, Like the ideal first game candidate for Oregon to play because they're going to push you. There are going to be situations where if you make a mistake, uh, they will they will punish you for it, and it will cost you a down. It will cost you uh, a negative play. Uh, It could it could result in a turnover, and will get you better prepared for Ohio State Week Two because. Granted, look, they played UConn in week zero and UConn is one of the worst FBS teams in the country. But, uh, I, I think it was Tim DeRuiter Oregon's defensive coordinator coach said when you hold an opponent to 35 rushing yards and you hold an opponent to 105 yards of total offense, and you do that against an FBS team, that's really good when you, you could do that against air and it would be impressive. Um, And so there is a there is a sense of, Hey, Oregon should win Oregon more often than not will win. Uh, But if you're not careful, this game could be closer than it should be. And I think that's like the perfect tune up for playing Ohio state. Like, is it going to shock either of you guys, if this is a game where early midway through the second quarter, it's. 21-10 21-10 Oregon, like or 21-14 Oregon. It's a one-score game or or a ten-point game, and and Fresno State has the football and, and maybe they're at midfield. Like that to me is not going to be surprising at all.
2: I think this game is going to be competitive for a while. Actually, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're in the midway through the third quarter, and it's like, oh wow, this is like not totally over yet. I mean, I, and part of me thinks like, it's not like Oregon started off awesome a year ago. Against Stanford. And it's not like Oregon started off amazing against Auburn in that game. And you know, Auburn's a totally different animal in terms of an opponent. And you go back to 18, um, you know, that, that was a little different setup there in terms of what they started with. But it's not like they've had great debuts to start seasons. And Fresno State is a really talented team compared to some of the teams that we've seen play Oregon early in the season. And I think they're, they're, they're going to challenge Oregon a little bit. So, yeah, I'm not going to be surprised with that. With that said, I, I probably expect it'll be a little more decisive than that. Um, but I'm not going to be surprised if it's really competitive into the second half.
0: Yeah, no, neither am I. I do think it's going to be probably at most a two-score game during the first half, uh, unless Oregon, you know, scores a, a touchdown and then, you know, runs a pick six or returns a fumble for a touchdown, right. something like that. I don't anticipate them jumping up by 21 or 28 at any time. If they do, all right, that's yeah. cool. I mean, that'd be great to learn that the offense can have that kind of firepower would be fantastic, but I haven't seen it. I don't know if we're going to see it. And if we do, I don't think it'll be until adjustments are made at halftime.
1: So looking at Fresno state and the offensive side of the football, um, if, if you're wanting to know who are the guys that Oregon needs to contain here, I, I think first and foremost, it starts with their running back, Ronnie rivers. He leads the program in career touchdowns with 45 uh, is a guy that can be you on the ground, can also catch passes. And is probably someone who will have his chance at making an NFL roster in 2022, maybe not necessarily as a drafted player, he could get drafted, but, uh, for sure as an undrafted free agent, he will, he will be one of those guys. And it it feels to me like that classic, you know, power five FCS level running back who puts up a bunch of numbers, doesn't really necessarily have, you know, the NFL measurables of a running back that's six foot one, 225 pounds, but just always produces and just needs a chance and finds his way onto an NFL roster. Um, that's kind of the storyline I feel like Ronnie Rivers' career is going to have. Does he actually get to the NFL? Who knows? But that feels like the typical, you know, comes out of nowhere type guy in the NFL that we always see. Um, he He's the – for me, he's the first focal point. And then Jake Hayner, at quarterback, a former player at Washington, was, I think, their starting quarterback for a little bit. Um, they also have Jalen Cropper, uh, a four-star receiver that chose to stay home opposed to playing for some big time FCS, uh, excuse me, FBS power five schools in the PAC 12. Um, And then Ty Jones, a receiver who also happened to play at Washington. Um, Either of you guys buy the fact that this is going to be a a, a real good test. And uh, are you more worried about Oregon stopping Ronnie rivers or maybe with Jamal Hill and DJ James being suspended and unavailable for this football game. The the talent at receiver and the inexperience in Oregon's secondary could make up for an interesting you know combo there.
2: I'm going to kind of backpack off of what Jackson Moore, the Fresno State insider we spoke with earlier, said that I think this comes down to the passing game for Fresno State. I'm actually not not that I'm not worried about Rivers, but. Look at him, his career. I mean, he's not somebody who's ever run for more than 600 yards in a season, I don't think. Um, So from a run game perspective, I think last year he was on pace to do much better than that, but it was a short season, and and that's obviously the most recent season. Um, So he showed more production there. But this is not somebody who's like, you look at his career, and it's chock full of 100, 200-yard rushing games. Um, He does a lot of his damage in the passing game, which is, again, like I almost kind of think you look at Fresno State and you think of short passes as being – a big part of what they're going to do running the football. So Rivers is a big component. I think you have to be very aware of him as a home run threat out of the backfield as a pass catcher. But I think you really want to be aware of Jake Kaner Like if they can get after Jake Kaner and make his day difficult like that, like if you have a key to the game for me, I know we're going to have a key to the game. We'll have key to the game stories on the site on DuckTerritory.com. You can go check those out probably up by the time you listen to this. They just haven't been written yet. Um, but like a big key for me is like Oregon getting after the passer forcing Forcing it to be difficult for Jake Hainer, not making it easy, not allowing him to sit back there and make, go through his progression and find his receivers. Because as you say, he has some talent. Um, I think if they can do that. They'll be pretty in a good spot to win. Uh, am I overly concerned with the wide receiver talent at Fresno State? Probably not. At the same time, this is not like traditional opening game, smaller school wide receivers. This is Ty Jones. These are two guys who are four star recruits that had offers for most of the conference. Um, that have at least produced at a decent level so far. I think Cropper's somebody who's probably – like if if there's a guy who I think you really want to know, it might actually be Jalen Cropper rather than, I don't know, Ronnie Rivers.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I don't anticipate Ronnie Rivers having too much of an impact in the running game, like you said, Eric. I think Oregon's physicality, talent, and size up front will have their – honestly, will be able to handle anything that Fresno State throws on the offensive line. Um, it is all about getting to Hayner, forcing him into rush passes, and hopefully having them make bad decisions. Uh, I feel okay that Michael Wright is going to be on uh, Jalen Cropper most of the night, or day, excuse me, uh, and <laughs> right in the morning, I guess. But I, I feel good about that. I mean, Michael Wright's one of the best cornerbacks in the country. It's one of the best in the conference. You know, that's a good start, but obviously, you know, it takes a full team to cover everybody. Um, but I think the pass rush is going to get there for most of the day. Uh, we're still unclear on how healthy the Fresno State offensive line is, considering that three quarters of them all cramped and left the game last Saturday. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. It won't be that hot, obviously, in Eugene as it was in Fresno last week. But it'll be—I think Oregon's defensive line will be enough and get enough pressure with Tinderooter's scheme to to really make Jake Hayner's day not so fun.
2: Those linemen have enough time to drink some water, though. It's been about a week. So hopefully, I hydrate. hope so. They're hydrated. I they'll hope. Let's cross our fingers.
1: Defensively, Fresno State was terrific against UConn, but it's also UConn. Um, that being said, they got 10 tackles for loss in that football game. They had four sacks in that football game. And their defensive line, when I look at it, and you look at group of five teams playing power five teams, I want to see older guys. I want to see guys that have been in the program three, four, five years. Um, And in this instance, you know, Fresno State's going to have some six-year guys along the defensive line. And, you know, I I certainly don't think their depth is up to par with what Oregon has along the D line. But I, I do think you have to at least respect what they have because from a starter standpoint, um, they've got some serious beef. They're going to start a 4-3 defense. Um, they're going to have two guys at defensive tackle that are both over 310 pounds. Uh, their edge players are going to be right at 250. And then they're going to have a couple linebackers uh, that are in that 240 range. And so I, I look at them and think this is a group that, that's probably going to have some size up front. That's going to be a, a good test, one that Oregon should pass. Uh, But Oregon's offensive line will be challenged here. And and how clean of a pocket that Oregon's offensive line can can create for Anthony Brown will probably dictate how explosive Oregon's offense is in in week one.
2: Fresno State was third last year in sacks nationally. David Corrales was an all-conference player. I think if you were to project his stats over a 12-game season, it would be like a 20-tackle for loss, 10-sack season. To put that in perspective, that's that's pretty good. That's that's pretty dang good, actually. It's
1: almost all american level.
2: I mean, and, and he was – I don't think he was quite looked at as an All-American, but he was looked at as an all-conference guy and a really, really good player. So that's a, a name to know um, up front. In general, I think, again, like I said on offense, I, I really think this game comes down to trench warfare. I mean, I know that that is all too common, the thing you say. We'll be saying something much different next week when Oregon plays Ohio State because I think that game is going to be determined on the perimeter – look at Ohio State's receivers. We won't get there until next week, though. Um, but this week, I really think it's it's all about the trenches. It's can Oregon's defensive front dominate, force Fresno State to win with Jake Hayner's arm, make it difficult for him to win with his arm because of their ability to get to him. And then on the other side, it's, it's you know, can, can you run the football? Can you dominate the line of scrimmage? I think Oregon will do that. And I think that's really going to be the difference here. And that's part of why I think, actually, because I think some of Fresno State's strengths are, in theory, l- aligned with some of Oregon's strengths, especially when Oregon's on offense. That's why I think this game will be not one where Oregon dominates right right, right away, where they jump out to a big Because I do think that defensive front for Fresno State is going to cause some problems early. And maybe, like Jared said, requires some adjustments at halftime.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, this is totally a battle of the trenches game. But then again, I don't know, maybe – Maybe, but I don't think Mario Cristobal anticipated recruiting how he did to beat Fresno State. (laughs) But he is somebody who has recruited the trenches for the last couple of years, and that's shown up in big games in the Pac-12. So this is a matchup that I do think favors Oregon. The defensive line for Fresno State is talented. They're deep, and they have a lot of experience, especially compared to the offensive line at Oregon. But I do think that Oregon will be able to rotate bodies, they have depth at the offensive line. So if once if one group of five, if the starting group of five isn't really working, they can always realign and say, okay, we're going to go with a bulkier group, a lighter group, something like that, and try to spread them out and get those big defensive tackles moving side to side rather than, rather than north to south. So I think this will be an interesting matchup for Oregon's offensive line. But if C.J. Verdell, if in the first quarter, if he gets – 30, 40 yards, I think that could be a huge uh, indicator of how the game will go.
1: Let's real quick, before we kind of get into some of our game predictions, let's discuss um, some quick keys to the football game here. Um, I, I will go first. And I think I look at Oregon and under Mario Cristobal, I, I think one of the biggest transitions that the fan base has got, had to go, uh, go through has been this isn't a Chip Kelly offense. Everyone has been so associated with the spread and the fact that, you know, if, if Oregon's not scoring 56, 60 points a game, you know, something is bad is wrong with this offense. And that's not the case. Um, this team will score a lot of points. They will have games where they're in the fifties where they're in the sixties, but the heart of Mario Cristobal's program is physicality and just wearing out its opponents. So by the fourth quarter, that team just doesn't want to stick with Oregon in the trenches like Eric mentioned, you know, dominate the interior uh, of both sides of the football. And for me though, I, I think what elevates this program to that next level is if they can keep that mentality of dominating the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football. And then at the same time, have some of these explosion plays show up because we haven't seen a lot of for Oregon, we haven't seen a lot of like 30, 40, 50 yard runs or, or, you know, 30, 40, 50 yard plays from the offensive side of the football. I'd love to see Oregon um, go out where they get a drive early on in this football game. And this is where my key starts is, Finish your drives that you, we talked about that in the scrimmage a couple of times with Joe Moorhead, you know, being able to finish drives, go out and put together a couple drives early on where maybe you go the length of the field and it's seven yards, eight yards, nine yards, seven yards, 10 yards. And then you break one for, for 35 yards or what have you for, for the touchdown kind of gives you the best of both worlds. So I'm looking at it as finish your drives and have these drives be very physical and take up the length of the football field that you're given. Uh, because if you do that a couple times in a row, Fresno State will buckle and they won't be able to handle the, the the rest of the game.
2: I think it's a key. This is a key, probably anytime a more talented team faces a less talented team, which happens a lot in college football. But that's just don't turn the ball over, protect yeah. the football, don't make mistakes, mm-hmm. don't give the other team an opportunity to you know, even out the talent disparity because of, you know, mistakes that don't relate to that talent disparity, right? I mean, if, 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 if Oregon doesn't do anything they shouldn't do, I'm pretty confident over the course of a game where you play, you know, a couple hundred plays or 150, 160, 170 plays, that Oregon's athletes are going to win enough of those snaps that they're going to win the football game and do so decisively. But of course you give Fresno state good field position or you give them points, um, You know, I mean, and I say turnovers. That's that's a big one, but part of it can also just be silly first game mistakes. So, hey, you know, you've got a lot of new players in the secondary. Maybe maybe an assignment error results in a long touchdown pass. I mean, just those kind of things, like just those first game jitters and mistakes. Minimize those, but turnovers in particular, because I, I think this is an offense that has potential to be really dominant and really good this season. But it's also one that I haven't seen this quarterback play with this group yet. I haven't seen a lot of these guys that are skill position players. Part of what makes it so exciting is they're new, but part of what makes it a little concerning is that they're new. You know, I always point to like De'Anthony, everybody would say De'Anthony Thomas is one of Oregon's most dynamic offensive players ever. His first game against the LSU, he put the ball on the turf twice. And that was part of the reason they lost that game. Um, you know, so, like, they're prone to this. So Troy Franklin, who I'm super excited about, I probably uh, this is the most excited I've been about an Oregon true freshman receiver until, since, like, Cam Colvin, honestly, and I was when I was, like, 13, 14 years old. So um, there's a lot of reason to be excited, but I just think make sure you minimize mistakes. Play smart. Play good football. Um, don't give Fresno State the opportunity to capitalize on on errors. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Eric.
0: Playing smart is – as, as important as it gets, especially for game one with the new quarterback breaking in. But with the new quarterback breaking in, I think it's very important that Oregon gets hit Anthony Brown hot to start mm-hmm. or some kind of rhythm. Easy passes right out of the gate or sending a message and taking a deep shot right out of the gate. Uh, I, I think that's going to be huge. and I think Coach Moorhead knows that. Uh, it's just so much easier for, for Brown and his you know, first career start in, in Autzen Stadium with a big crowd, uh, getting into a rhythm, making easy routes and, and getting the offense some confidence behind his right arm. Uh, and then I think, on, uh, again, on offense, I think it's important that Oregon finds who's going to be their number one receiver. Maybe, not, it won't, maybe it won't happen in this game, but I do think between Johnny Johnson and maybe Jalen Redd, depending how often he plays, and Troy Franklin, they need to find a guy who's going to be there at every moment. Uh, if that's Johnny Johnson, like it was in the last two years, that's great. If it's Troy Franklin turning a new leaf, I think it's going to be important to see if the game does get close hypothetically in the second half, you know, who's breaking off the routes, who's seen the ball getting thrown at them, who's targeted the most, stuff like that I think are all pretty important when it comes down to the offense in this game.
1: We should also point out the importance of – because Jerry made a great point there – of – How confident would we be in Oregon going to Ohio State and winning if he came out week one against Fresno State and looked lackluster? Like We're already expecting Oregon to lose that game, and if he looks average against Fresno State, um, that would be a a cause for concern. On the flip side, if he comes out and is dominant against Fresno State, that could really give Oregon some serious momentum going into that Ohio State game week two um let's shift over to game predictions now um Eric let's let's have you start things off uh with an offensive team prediction we'll run through these offensive team prediction an offensive individual prediction a defensive team prediction and then a defensive individual prediction uh why don't you just give your offensive team one first and we'll we'll give ours and and we'll run down the list here
2: i like to introduce myself as Scopaldamas for this week. Just, uh, that's been uh, something we unleashed on the website on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday. Uh, so that's my new prediction, predictive uh, name here. So when we, when we talk about this, this, this segment every week, Matt, please, please refer to me as Scopaldamas.
1: Okay, I'm sorry, Eric.
2: <laughs> you just said you just messed it up. That was your first opportunity. Scopaldamas, come on. I'm never going to get Matt to say it. I just realized I'm never going to say it. All right, I digress. Um, My first one, and you can go read these on duckterritory.com if you'd like to, to read the the written version. But my first one is that the Oregon defense holds Fresno State to um, the fewest points Fresno State has scored since the 2019 season, um, and that would be less than 19 points. So I, I am predicting Fresno State scores 18 or fewer points in this game, and that is a result of Oregon's defense playing really, really good football.
1: I'll go next. And I, I don't think Ronnie Rivers scores a touchdown. And I think he has less than a hundred yards of total offense. I think, I think Oregon is going to dominate the line of scrimmage here. Oregon's linebackers are going to be physical and yet athletic enough to cover him in space. And they are going to make Fresno state become a one dimensional football team and have to throw the football to try and even keep this game. Uh, Within arm's reach, and so I I think Ronnie Rivers will be a guy that that stays under the 100 all-purpose yards and does not score a touchdown in this football game.
0: I'm going there with you, Matt. Too, I think Oregon's defense is going to stop Ronnie Rivers, and that's going to force Hayner to throw. I have Hayner throwing three interceptions today, or excuse me, on Saturday. I have two normal interceptions and then a tip pass. Love the tip ball drill. That's going to be the third one of the game, right there. I'm thinking like third quarter, something like that.
2: The specificity Jared is amazing. That you're not only a shot with the picks, you're you're giving us a play by play of how they're gonna happen. That's that's next. It's up. Happen. There's a, if there's a third quarter tip drill interception, man, you really are becoming scopedomus. I might have to send the title your <laughs>
0: <laughs> We can switch it up for a day. How about that? Works for me.
2: <laughs> All right. We're gonna you want me to do a couple of team offense. Um I have Oregon going over four hundred and fifty yards of total offense in this game. Um, I don't think that's a crazy number to hit. They did it all four of their first games a year ago and then didn't do it again after. Um, I think that's a decent baseline against an opponent like this. I almost said 500, but 450 felt like a, a little bit of a safer bet. Um, I think it's going to be pretty balanced. I think probably 200 yards plus passing, 200 and plus yards rushing, and whatever the difference is there to get to 450 is whatever it is. Um, but I'm expecting a pretty balanced offensive attack. I don't think Fresno State's going to be good enough Defensively, either stopping the run or stopping the pass, that Oregon will will really be one-sided, or will have to focus on one one part of it. And again, I think the way the game plays out will allow um, Oregon to run through its playbook in its entirety and, and not have to be, you know, frantically trying to you know, throw the ball late to come back to win. Um, I think they can be pretty balanced. I think that the the game plan and the and the game script is going to play out that way.
1: I've got Oregon's offense being extremely balanced and. They finished this football game having six guys score touchdowns. Um, seven guys end up scoring points in this game. I think a field goal um, – obviously PATs happen. happening. A field goal is a possibility as well. But I, I think we're going to see a very well-balanced attack. It's not going to be one or two guys doing all the damage from a scoring standpoint. Um, it's going to be spread out pretty well. I think between running backs, receivers, and tight ends – I, I think we'll see a, a, an offense where it's like, wow, like there maybe wasn't one guy who was just purely dominant and he'd be looked at as one of the best three offensive players in the country for week one. But every single guy out there that does something basically had a really solid football game for this, for this Oregon team. I'm with you, Eric, too, and they go over 450 for total, total yardage.
0: I'm going to jump on the balance bandwagon and say Anthony Brown has four total touchdowns, two throwing, two rushing. So I i, I have a I have confidence this year that Joe Moorhead is going to really try to run Anthony Brown. And I'm not saying he's going to get, you know, 15, 20 attempts a game, but he's going to, I think he'll sit somewhere comfortably between seven and 10 attempts. Uh, I think they'll mostly be around the goal line, but I can also see AB you know, breaking one off for 30 yards at one point during the game. You know, if he if there's enough play action or or uh, RPOs that the defense starts falling for it and gets those big bodies moving sideways, I think there could be enough room for A.B. to kind of break something off.
2: Jared, are you making two offensive individual predictions this week? Maybe. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. Uh, my Good podcast. Because <laughs> well, that was supposed to be the team section. That was an individual one, I thought. Like crazy? I'm
0: going individual, yeah.
2: We're going individual. All right, cool. All right, uh, I'm going to go individual offense now because that was where I was. That was the order I was going in. Next, uh, Troy Franklin. I think this guy's going to have a pretty good game. Leads the team in receiving. I think he scores his <laughs> first touchdown. I didn't say over 100 yards receiving. I don't think any Oregon receiver does that. Um, we talked about it earlier in the week, and I think it's going to be the way it plays out where there's so much depth of receiver that there's not going to be a guy who's like, Ten catches, 180 yards, like Dylan Mitchell was a couple of years ago, or like you know, there's these huge monster games that might happen just if a guy gets hot, or or maybe someone does develop into that. But my my feeling, especially early, is you're going to see it be pretty balanced. So Franklin leads the team in receptions, gets in the end zone for the first time, does not reach the 100 yard mark. No Oregon receiver does. Hmm.
1: Individual one for me, um, I'm all in on Anthony Brown looking good. I think he completes over. of his passes in this football game. Um, I don't know how much of that's going to be deep stuff, but I think he's going to look good. I I think we're going to walk away from this one looking at it saying, yeah, he was QB one for all of spring, all of fall camp for a reason. And he goes into week two at Ohio state, riding a lot of personal momentum into that football game.
0: Should I do a team or an individual here?
1: You pick your own adventure. Pick up. your own adventure here. Yeah, yeah. all
0: right. All right.
2: We'll, I, we'll, I love I love that you just did an individual one before we started doing individual ones. I was like, I don't even know where we are in our show notes, but that's fine.
0: <laughs> We're doing individual. Okay. So I have uh, I have Camden Lewis making all of his field goals. <laughs> oh. I think that's I think that number is probably gonna be three. Wow. I, I'm gonna go three field goals and then hit all the extra points. He's gonna have a perfect day
2: from the field. So you're also predicting Camden Lewis is the place kicker, which has not officially been said, but honestly, maybe we should note this really quickly here. Mario Cristobal said Camden Lewis has been 37 for 40 on kicks this fall. Um, we talked about sometimes the there's like maybe a mental block and sometimes there's a guy who's killing it in practice but can't convert it over to the game, translate it over to the game. Clearly, Lewis is dominating in practice. And my, my guess is, based upon the way Mario said it, he mentioned like, oh, and Kappel, and he mentioned like, oh yeah, Kabbelman hit one too. My guess is it's not even close. Is that Lewis has been the much better kicker in practice, but that because of the way the last couple of in-game seasons have gone, they don't really feel like they can say Camden has fully won this job yet until he goes out and, and proves it. So, I think they're going to give Lewis the first not to Jared. I do think that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a, just a thing we should say. Love the prediction because that way allowed us to, to inform listeners that, like, hey, just, just an FYI, if you haven't been reading along closely, you're probably going to see Camden Lewis kicking field goals and not Henry Cattleman. So, um, you know, maybe there's, there's just a little forewarning for that so you don't get out there and are, are perplexed when that's the case, you know, whenever Oregon kicks a field goal. I'm actually not, not sure they're going to even attempt a single field goal, but Jared has three. That's, that's a three. Game. And three for three.
0: Three for three, yeah. He's going to be perfect from the floor.
1: <laughs> defensive, Eric, you're up now with your defensive kick here.
2: All right. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, three sacks. Uh, mm. One of the things that Jackson said and one of the things he actually wrote in the – we've got a lot of content on the site previewing this game, by the way. Uh, three different know-the-foe stories, most recent one being a QA and a with Jackson Moore, who, again, he was on our podcast on Thursday earlier this week. Um, or sorry Wednesday god there's so many days I'm, I'm gonna be confused for a while in terms of what our order is but Jackson was on the show and one of the things he talked about was just their offensive line and the stat that I saw was 24 sacks in six games last year allowed for Fresno State's offensive line it's about four per game that's a lot Oregon <laughs> as it happens to have the best pass rusher in the country a player that is significantly better than anyone else Fresno State played a year ago and I think Thibodeau is going to be unleashed and going to have a huge game to start his 2021 season. And I'm saying three sacks in this one. Um, currently his personal best is two and a half in a Pac-12 championship game against Utah at 19.
1: Yeah, I I think um or I already did a team one, and so this starts off as a team but transitions to an individual one. I think Oregon's gonna have five turnovers forced defensively, and I'm gonna go with Noah Sewell being responsible for forcing or recovering two of those turnovers Um, could be fumbles, could be tips that gets into interceptions, could be interceptions by himself. But I think Noah Sewell is going to be a guy that when we watch the film of this game the day later, uh, we're going to go, wow, he was everywhere and he caused a ton of havoc uh, on this defense to help force five turnovers.
0: I'm going to stick with the linebackers. Obviously, I'm going with Justin Flo. Um, I think that he'll be the starter, which will help my prediction. I think he'll have over nine tackles and at least one tackle for loss. So I think he's going to be a guy who naturally feeds off the energy of the stadium. And this is going to be a huge moment for him, like getting his Oregon debut in in Onsen, full capacity crowd, I think he's going to come out swinging, especially on like the first few drives of the game and just try to wreak havoc wherever he goes. So I have him over nine tackles at least and then at least one tackle for loss.
2: Jared, I, I love the point you brought up just of he's going to play out of the crowd. I totally see him as that kind of guy where he feeds off of the energy. And that's not to say that he'll play worse like on the road or something because I think he'll also feed feed off that negative energy too. But yeah. I, mean, I, 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 kind, I kind of see him as one of those guys like People, who you watch basketball regularly. You know there are players who just kind of live for those kind of moments. They like to be mm-hmm. kind of in the mid, middle of that, and they, they feed off of it. I I see a, a, a scenario where that's kind of what we think of Justin Flo. Of like, boy, when the game, kind of when the moment is there, he's going to rise to it and, and play off of whatever the audience provides. So I think that's a good point. All
1: right, score predictions. Um, Eric, you can go first. I'll go second. Jared, you can go last here for a second.
2: Works for me. All right. Well, I've already said less than. 18 points in this game. I've already said on a previous podcast, I thought Oregon would score 38 points. So I'm going to make this pretty easy for myself. Go 38-17. It's a 21-point win. The spread last I saw was 20 and a half. So I'll have Oregon just covering the spread. Um, It might have moved, and maybe it does move to a place where it's a push or even it doesn't cover. But um, I like Oregon to win 38-17. I think it's a game that's competitive in the first half. I think Oregon's up, like we said earlier, maybe 10 maybe 11 points, something like that at half, Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they're ahead 21 to 10, you know, something like that. And then the second half, they have a lot more success offensively. They figure some things out defensively and they pull away to a point where in the fourth quarter, we finally get to see who the first backup quarterback is and it's Ty Thompson.
1: Mm. I like that. I'll go next. And I'm a little more optimistic from a scoring standpoint than Eric is. Um, I'm on point with you though with points I I have Fresno State scoring 17 points in this football game um, and I don't think they get on the board until maybe late in the second quarter uh, of this football game Um, I have Oregon I said earlier they they have six guys scoring touchdowns in this one I have Oregon winning 49 to 17 they obviously cover the spread Um, I do think though that one or two of those touchdowns get tacked on late um, when second strings have been put into the game. And um, so I, I think Oregon's offense, first team offense will probably score 35 points, maybe 42 somewhere around there. Um, and the first team defense will hold uh, Fresno state to right around seven. And then the backups get in and we finish up with a 49, 17 outcome.
2: Before Jared goes, Matt, who's the backup quarterback Who's the first quarterback besides I Brown? Okay. Agree.
0: I have I have Oregon forty four to twenty four, so they don't cover. But I I, I kind of agree with you, Matt. Where I think the the first team defense will probably hold Fresno State to uh, probably fourteen to seventeen points. But once the second teams all come in, they might get they might score a few points more. But I do think that this will be a an overall a very well rounded performance from the Ducks. I think their offense will look good. Uh, obviously, their place kicking will look good based off my predictions and uh, their defense. The the front seven is going to get after it against Fresno State. Uh, and to answer the backup quarterback question, we are going with Robbie Ashford. Ooh.
2: Wow. Going, going away from the,
1: the consensus here. I like it. I, consensus I, really, I really like sick.
2: it. Not the consensus pick. All right, I like it, Jared, and I also like the fact that your uh, your, your game predictions kind of added up to your total score. That I was worried you were going to give us a score that couldn't include three field goals, but you nailed it. Step, so, you know, we,
0: we 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 can do math here
2: sometimes. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. It's a pro math podcast. <laughs>
0: pro math, yes.
1: All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. All three of us are in agreement that Oregon will win this one. All three of us are in agreement that they are going to sp- uh, cover the spread. Um, and that's right, right?
2: Well, Jer- Jared had the knock. Uh, uh,
1: oh, that's right. I got a, I got a Math is somebody. hard. Math is yeah. hard.
2: Yeah, it's a pro-math podcast. Pro-math. So- <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: all three of us have Oregon winning, but Jared is the only one that does not think they cover the spread. Eric and I think they do. Uh Coverage on DuckTerritory.com will be throughout Friday and all day Saturday into Sunday. Hopefully you guys uh, check out the post-game podcast. We'll be having that go live at some point. We haven't quite figured out yet the plan. Um, Because of COVID, we uh, are only allowed into the stadium for so long. We have to wear masks, and it's kind of a complicated area of, of getting a podcast recorded Uh, and the audio being perfect um, because we want the audio to be the best it can possibly be. So it might be a case where it comes out a little bit later than normal because we have to get home and record the show. But nonetheless, we will be doing a a post-game podcast as well. So look for that to come out Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning, depending on where you are. Until then, you've been listening to the and Audibles podcast.
2: Talk to you later, folks.
1: Peace.